Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. Thank you for joining us as we continue to celebrate all the amazing people working so hard to make Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. Hey, listen, uh, literally this morning, uh, a mental health symposium is uh, was happening at the Bowler Vodge uh, that was sponsored by Singing River Health System. Uh, you may have heard my conversation, recent conversation with Dr. MJ, who's a pediatrician at Singer River Health Systems, and Paige Roberts, the CEO of the Jackson County Chamber. It was it was a terrific show about how we've got to work harder to to uh, demystify and to 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 destigmatize uh, mental health. Uh, we we should have open and honest conversations because everybody in the community is uh, is facing something. And when we had these conversations within sort of the guise of um, the, the, the teen suicides that we've experienced in coastal Mississippi and looking at the, the data across Mississippi, completely unacceptable, the work that we need to do to reduce that. Having uh, Emma Benoit, the, uh, the suicide attempt survivor, and her incredibly compelling message about hope, et cetera, to, to be there this morning. I just want to thank Singer River Health Systems and the Jackson County Chamber of Commerce and others that are involved in that effort as we will continue to bring tremendous light. And, of course, Supertalk is going to be engaged in its own suicide prevention effort that's been inspired by this effort. And we're going to be rolling it across the state. We'll be talking more about that in the future. But uh, if you missed a conversation with Dr. MJ and Paige Roberts, I'd really encourage you to go to YouTube or the Super Talk Facebook page or the Ricky Matthews Show and look them up and take a listen to them. Uh, with that said, actually, I had Lauren St. Pay, who is the current CEO of Singer River Health Systems on my show, who is going to be on my show, excuse me, next week. And I really want to encourage you to listen. He's going to be with me Monday. And then, in fact, Jonathan Allen from Allen uh, Jay Allen Automotive is going to be joining me. We're just going to talk about the latest as he continues to expand his dealerships. We have a terrific conversation, incidentally, about <clears throat> the lack of an energy policy in America and how that's really impacting auto dealers. This push to EV, it's not practical. There are mandates that have been put in place. It doesn't make any sense. And, and in fact, if we were to keep forward with uh, with those mandates, it's just going to open up a tremendous opportunity for the Chinese uh, auto manufacturers. And we don't want that to happen. So look forward to having that conversation with Jonathan next Tuesday. Okay, without any further ado, let's move over to my friend Jeff Duncan, and uh, who is the uh, a columnist for NOLA.com and the Times-Picayune and someone I really enjoy che- checking in with. How you doing, my friend? Ricky, I'm recovered from uh, from Mardi Gras and Valentine's Day, um, so back in the flow of a regular routine. Yeah, good, good for you. <laughs> a lot of lot of uh, boy, you know, Mardi Gras never disappoints in New Orleans, does it? I, I tell you, it turned out to be a, a, just a brilliant weather event. I mean, it, we kept hearing we were going to get rain, and it never really materialized. But I did feel like the crowds were a little smaller this year. And that was actually, in my opinion, kind of a good thing. They were very passionate and energetic, but weren't quite as large as normal. 
Uh, but man, what a great time to be in the city. And um, yeah, I needed a, I needed 24 hours, Ricky, at my age to <laughs> to get back in the flow. It's not, not hey, as young not as it to- used to be. <laughs> You know, listen. I'm a you know I'm a big supporter of New Orleans. I love the city. Um, I loved my time there and love so many people there still. I, I wonder if the if the um, the crime news coming out of the city had some impact to people who would, who normally would be willing to travel into the city to enjoy the Mardi Gras. If maybe they changed some of their plans around that for that reason. Yeah, it could be the outside perception that certainly could have an impact. Um, it was a little bit different. Uh, you know, time for Mardi Gras, a little bit earlier than normal. Uh, I think that could have impacted. But I do know that, you know, the new governor, Jeff Landry, imposed new kind of public safety standards, uh, had the state police and I think even the Department of Fish and Wildlife enforcement staff in the city. So it was a much safer Mardi Gras than we've had in the past. There still were incidents. But uh, I think across the board, that was a very positive uh, development uh, yeah. going forward that should you know, hopefully I'll turn that thing around a little bit. Yeah, I know that when I when I was there um, in New Orleans, I uh, had conversations with Governor Edwards about that, and they had uh, started using state police in, in the French Quarter, and uh, I think that's been sort of a good commitment. And then, of course, Governor Landry has been his doubling down on that. He's taken it to a whole nother level because he understands, Jeff, you and I both understand this, that if we can't make the French Quarter safe, and it's a sort of like, Disney World not being safe and people you know aren't going to go, and so the opportunities here to really focus our attention on you know keeping people as safe as possible is really important to the city. I do think it made a difference though. You don't you didn't see the same kind of incidences that you've seen in past Mardi Gras. I know that there's been some, but nothing like we've seen in the past. No, I think it was, it was a good decision overall. I think it's probably a good trial run too for future events. I mean, uh, you know, we have the Super Bowl here next year. Uh, we're taking the torch from Las Vegas, and um, this this past Mardi Gras, I think, was a trial run for public safety standards and controls. Uh, when you have hundreds of thousands of visitors, con- you know, uh, descending upon the city at one time. I mean, there's so many people that come into New Orleans for Mardi Gras that don't even go to the parades; they're just here. Same thing for Super Bowl; they're just going to come in, go to the events around the game. So I think it's been a you know probably I'm sure they're evaluating how it went. And we'll use some more best practices moving forward. Well, I thought this. You know, speaking of the Super Bowl, I thought that, uh, and sort of when the when the Super Bowl is done, there's this formality that happens where you're literally handing uh, the torch over to the next city. In the case, this case, New Orleans. And I thought I thought Gail Benson's comments were terrific. Uh, essentially, we know how to do big events, and and uh, I was there during the last Super Bowl. It was just an incredible an incredible memory to participate in that. You and I have talked about that before on the show. But City's ready, and and for people who don't fully appreciate the kind of multi-year planning and effort around that, it's uh, they, they, they can't fully appreciate what it takes to pull it off, can they? No, I mean, look, Jay Cicero, the head of the Greater New Orleans Sports Foundation, his staff, they're kind of the point people along with the entire host committee here. They've been working for years uh, to plan for this. Now, we got a little bit of an extra year out of it because when the league went to the 17-game schedule, I'm not sure how many of your listeners or viewers know this, but we were supposed to have this year's uh, Super Bowl here. And when the league went to 17-game schedule, it pushed the regular season schedule back a week, and that was going to push the Super Bowl into Mardi Gras. We know we could never 
have those two events at the same time. So it forced us to kind of abandon the 2024 game, move it back a year to next year, and Las Vegas stepped into the fold. So, and look, Las Vegas did a tremendous job. I mean, I wrote about this this week. I mean, they, they hired Sam Joffrey away from the New Orleans uh, Super Bowl host committee staff because they'd never put on a Super Bowl before and they wanted someone with experience. So they went to New Orleans to get Sam, who's a New Orleans native. And Sam did a great job by all accounts. I mean, they did an incredible job out there. There's still some snafus. It was their first Super Bowl ever. I heard traffic gridlock was a nightmare, some safety issues as well. But overall, I think it was a, a big hit, and I expect the league to be back in Vegas in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, let's face it, Las Vegas is a great place to have a Super Bowl. They got a lot of hotel rooms there. They have so much entertainment. You know, the big story of this, it, it, this is the big story every Super Bowl, is a number of, of uh, celebrities to participate. But but that whole notion of celebrities was on a whole other plane in Las Vegas as they just poured in there, spending ungodly amounts of money to have their own boxes or to you know, take care of their family and friends. I mean, the stories coming out of Las Vegas to how many millions and millions of dollars spent uh, during those couple of days just by celebrities is incredible. But that's just the way it is, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah, look, and they're uniquely positioned because of their you know inherent hospitality industry. Uh, you know, look, they, they have 150,000 hotel rooms in Vegas. I mean, compare that to New Orleans. New Orleans is a big hotel city, and we've got like 30,000, 35,000. So it's just it, it's extraordinary the capacity that that city has to put on an event like this. So I expect they're going to be a part of the rotation going forward. I wrote about that this week. I mean, it's getting more competitive when you add in L.A. to the mix with SoFi Stadium, now Vegas. And I'm telling you, Ricky, Nashville, when they build their new stadium, downtown, $2 billion stadium right on the river. Uh, that city has become a boom town. They're going to compete for Super Bowls. <clears throat> so I just think it's going to be a once every decade type event for New Orleans. And and we've got to raise our game here. And yeah. we are, but we've got to compete for these big events like Sugar Bowls, BCS title games, uh, because it's it's getting harder and harder. You have to have, it's all about the Benjamins, as they say. <laughs> and uh, it's a very expensive business to be in. Hey, listen, uh, we're talking about New Orleans as it relates to the Super Bowl, but let's pull the aperture out a bit and remind everybody that when the, when the Saints in general is all about the Gulf South, from, say, Pensacola generally to the Texas line, and you can go north as far as you want to go. But the reality is a lot of people pay attention to the Saints generally anyway. It's a regional team. But when you have the Super Bowl... What it what that, that Sugar Bowl included, but Super Bowl sort of in a class by itself, what that does to create a shot in the arm for coastal Mississippi is absolutely dramatic because you know they as Jeff pointed out, they don't have enough hotels, rooms in New Orleans to house everybody. So a lot of folks stay in coastal Mississippi. You got a Harris, you got Harris in the, the Caesars in the in the heart of, of downtown New Orleans. And then of course you've got one over here, the, the collaboration that happens between the two. I could just go on and on and on, but it's gonna be really important to us as well. Hey, when we come back on the other side, uh, Jeff actually uh, broke a story yesterday about training camp. I want to hear what he's hearing about that, and we'll tell you specifically about this effort for the Saints to move out west. Not a bad move. We'll see you more after this break.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. And uh, you listen, I knew this about Jeff when I was in New Orleans. I knew it before I got to New Orleans. Certainly continue to have that reaffirmed that he was the guy that was going to break a lot of important stories. He has, you know, I would put his sources up against anybody else's. He leads the conversation. He constantly is breaking news. And once again, he breaks, breaks the news that the Saints are expected to move to training camp out west. Something he's sort of known about for a while, but he's finally able to put together the sources and, and, and do a story around it. Uh, I think that's a great move, but why don't you give him some details about what you reported? Yeah, we broke it this morning, Ricky. Um, we've known that they were moving training camp somewhere this year because they have a, a construction project, a renovation project, really, on their indoor training facility and their cafeteria. The cafeteria, they've just outgrown it. Uh, the building was built you know, 15, 20 years ago, and they've added so much staff, not only in taking on the Pelicans operations, but also internally to where they need a larger cafeteria. And so in renovating that project, it's adjacent to the indoor facility. It's going to force them to go somewhere because they have to feed hundreds of staff during training camp, three meals a day, if you will. Uh, you know, they have to have an indoor facility because of the possibility of inclement weather, as we all know, in the Gulf South uh, during August and July. So they had to, they've been on the scout scouting mission for the last few months and really settled on kind of Orange County, California, which if you've been out to L.A., it's a southern county right below L.A. Uh, and they've trained out there in the past for a week or so with the Chargers in Costa Mesa. Uh, and and are familiar with the area. They know the hotels. They know the the grid the grid of traffic, and very like the, the obviously the Southern California weather. And so they're going to go to Irvine, California, which is just three miles down the road from where the Chargers trained. It's where the Los Angeles Rams have trained since they moved to L.A. And uh, they the Rams now have abandoned that site because they have their own training site uh, on their on, at their headquarters now. That that construction project is completed. So they're going to move to their headquarters. So they have an open NFL-ready facility in Irvine. This is where teams that come in for the Rose Bowl practice. The Rams had camp there. Other teams have had camp. So it's a it's an NFL-ready facility, and obviously it's not great for local fans that want to come to camp here and see the Saints. But there's really nothing team officials can do. They have to move the camp somewhere. And I think I think the familiarity with Orange County and Irvine, and uh, just the conditions getting out of this heat. We, we documented last year, Ricky, they had so many soft tissue is, is injuries uh, training in this heat here. I, I personally believe it's not a good move. I mean, when the Saints first started in 1967, their inaugural two, three seasons, they trained in San Diego. John Meekham knew they needed to get out of here during training camp and get into a more clement weather condition. And the Saints have, have always kind of straddled that decision because they want to be here for the fans but they also want to have a, a safe uh, and injury-free camp as, as best possible. It's expensive to do, so I don't think they're going to be. This is going to be more than just a one-year decision, uh, but it definitely is going to be in Irvine this year. Hey, listen, uh, just a, as a small world uh, category, my son Justin works for Price Waterhouse in New York City, and his girlfriend Lauren's father 
is uh, I think I have this right, the CEO of the Orange County Chamber. <laughs> so small okay. world. Be Maybe I'll have him on at some point and see what he thinks about the Saints coming to town, even if it's for a year. It'd be, be interesting to hear his perspective. But but you know why it's interesting? Um, boy, that cafeteria needed to be renovated. I remember it well. And it was kind of a basic cafeteria. And when you compare it to what other NFL teams have, uh, boy, that was sorely needed, wasn't it? Yeah, there's no question. This is part of the life cycle of an NFL franchise. I mean, the Saints have just this past offseason renovated their scouting department. They've kind of got a high-tech situation now for their scouts. They're using it this year for the first time. This is the next project on, on the site. And they're built. They're doing it all with their own money, so there's no public money there. But they, they built that indoor training facility with, with some public funds, so they understand the responsibility and to some degree even an obligation to, to have camp for the fans. They just can't do it this year. Uh, they'll be back here, I'm sure, after next season. I say that, but heck, if the team goes 17 and 0 next year, you know how uh, people are about, uh, you know, about momentum and um, you know good luck charms. Maybe they they feel like Irvine will be their good luck charm. Hey, uh, when when Jim Amos and I went over to visit with Tom and Gail Benson and. Uh, Dennis Lashow and Mickey Loomis. After the meeting, Mickey took us over to his office to show. You know, I've told you about this before. The new, the new balcony overlooking the training facility. But, you know, you know, my thought was, I mean, we were really proud of it. But they, you know, it's been a, it's been a process of getting everything in terms of the physical structure of that place at at a standard that is that of a first class, you know, NFL team. Of course you don't do it overnight, but they've been really focused on that. The facility really in, in a day of free free agency, I wonder if it really makes a difference, but it certainly can't hurt to have a first class facility. Don't you think right. yeah, look, and I think the Saints do have a great facility and um but they have to keep keep modernizing it all the time. They've worked on the training. They've tried to uh, prioritize the the areas of the building that affect performance on the field. So they, they've renovated the training room there internally. The locker rooms have all been renovated. A lot of the meeting rooms have been renovated. Uh, so this is next on the list, but they wanted to prioritize the players and coaches, which makes a lot of sense to me going forward. Uh, but this this is going to be nice. The the indoor facility is also kind of has been kind of a bare basic facility. They have to have it because of the the inclement weather we have here. But they're going to actually be able to build like a second story onto the cafeteria that's adjacent to where now Mickey Loomis, Saint staff, different VIPs, maybe even media. I've put in my my request for media to have a viewing area above. The indoor facility, because as it is right now, there's nowhere to, to sit. There's not enough room for yeah, bleachers yeah. in there. You can't really get a good angle to see practice. You're on the field level. It's hard to see anything. So they're going to have a viewing area as well there in this new renovation project. Yeah, it actually is quite tight. <laughs> yeah, I remember that well. Everybody has to stand and observe. Yep. So that that would make a, a really good – I think that would make a really good advancement for that. Hey, listen uh, – it's official now. Clint Kubiak is our offensive coordinator. The offensive staff starting to come together. Been a lot of contemplation about what the changes in the team might be. But it's good to have it official, and it's good to see the offensive staff coming together, isn't it? Yeah, and look, Kubiak comes with a, a great reputation. His father, Gary, longtime head coach and offensive coordinator in the NFL, highly regarded offensive mind. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of influence from his father in there. He spent a year in the 49er system. I'm most interested, I've told you this before, interested to see what his vision is for the offense here. 
I'm not 100% sure, and I could be wrong about this. I've been wrong before plenty of times, but I'm not 100% sure they're going to just come in and put the 49ers offense in. Uh, I think it's going to be something of what they've been running, modernized with some of the things that have influenced Kubiak over the years. I mean, he only spent one year with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a meshing of what they've been doing with some things he wants to implement. Uh, Derek Carr, obviously, you have to build everything around his strengths, hide his weaknesses. Uh, And I think this offensive system uh, is one of the things that Derek Carr knows well. He's worked in the same system for years. I'd be surprised if McKinney just completely overhauled it at this stage when everyone's been working in this system for a while now. Hey, there's been some speculation. One of the things they're going to do is work harder to get the ball out of his hands faster. Um, But you've said before that's something we've got to be focused on anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's been a part of every offensive system in the league, I think. You want, you know, there's studies done. You just look at the numbers. When Derek Carr throws the ball 2.4 seconds or left, his completion percentage is higher, his ratings higher, his touchdown to interception ratio higher. But that's true of every quarterback in the league. And every defense is trying to make you hold the ball longer. So that's their whole point. So it's it's always a little bit of a cat and mouse game in that regard. But look, it's I think it's going to be nice to have some fresh ideas in the building. I think people have been wanting that. Fans have been wanting it. And Clint Kubiak brings that. There's, uh, of course, it all remains to be seen. It's all talk until it happens. But there, there really is, if you if you just sort of look across the the lay of the land, a real positive, uh, uh, you know, mood about Clint. I mean, you you see that, don't you? Yeah. Look, he comes. I mean, he he's worked under some great coaches, Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota. I, I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't know this. I'm I'm trying to get a hold of Gary Kubiak, but wouldn't surprise me if he Gary Kubiak came to camp and served as like an observer, uh, you know, this year. He, he's on a ranch over in Texas. He's not far away. That's really the connection was Clint's father. Gary Kubiak was a former Texas A&M quarterback, Texas A&M guy. Dennis Allen played at Texas A&M, too. So there's a lot of connections there with the families. And, um, you know, Clint, uh, I think, was the kind of guy the Saints needed to target, a young, ascending type of, of coach, uh, someone that's looking for an opportunity, ambitious and that certainly fits the mode with Clint Kubiak, and he's worked in so many successful offensive systems. I think he's going to be able to kind of mold this offense to a, a lot of the things that have been working and bring in his own ideas to kind of make it better. Hey, listen, we got hardly no time left. But Pelicans, real quick, what's your thoughts on where they are? Well, look, they're 11 games over 500, the best record at the All-Star break since 2009. So I think you have to be optimistic. They have 27 games left, I think, Ricky, and most of those are at home. So I think it's very positive right now the way things are going. They they have to keep improving. I'm surprised they didn't make a deal at the break, but I think they like where they're at. And uh, certainly exciting to see them winning games now and showing us a little more consistency. Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and Times Speaking. Thanks for checking in with us, man. I really appreciate you. All right, Ricky. We'll talk next week, buddy. You bet. JT Mitchell from Super Talk Mississippi News will join us after the break. We'll see you after. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.